Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and how much you love and care for us and that you desire to have us seek you and follow you and, and you just want to teach us who you and what you are. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We want to open up into Genesis chapter 1. And we are reading the, the first verse today. So we're going to read a large section of this, and this is actually going to be our text for two weeks. So first we're just going to read it to you. Genesis 1, starting at verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. And the Lord said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and, he called, and the evening and morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathered together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit trees yielding fruit from its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after its, his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for the signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament and gave them to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good and the evening and morning were the fourth day and God said let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that has life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heavens and God created great whales and every living creature that moved which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind God saw that it was good and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters with of the seas, and let the fowl multiply on, in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeped upon the earth after his kind, and the Lord saw that it was good. And, the Lord, and, and God said, Let us make man in our image, after our image, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the, all the earth, and let every creature, creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree which is, which, in which yield 
in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seeds to you, it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everywhere there is life, I give you, you I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host in them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had made. And God, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that it, in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So we're going to look at this. this. This first week, we're going to look at when is a day not a day. <laughs> this is one of the most controversial sections of the scripture. And many people will say, these days weren't days. <laughs> and so we're just going to cover them. And I hope that you all understand and know the truth on this. But if, if you don't, we're going to cover it anyway. <laughs> a day in this scripture is a day in the first chapter, 24 hours. And there's lots of reasons why. But we're going to talk to you a little bit about some of the other things you may hear people. First off, people will tell you, well, it's not that important whether these were days or not. Well, I have a problem with that. If it's not a day as it says that it's a day, it means that God lied to us. And if the scripture lied to us in the very first chapter of the book, it is something we cannot believe. So to me, this is very important. And you're going to talk to Christians and will say things like, well, you can be a Christian without believing in a seven-day creation. And I go, absolutely, you can. I don't know what you're believing in, but yes, you can be a Christian without believing in a seven-day creation because you're obviously not believing the Bible as your authority. But yes, you can say Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's the one that saves me from my sins without believing in a seven-day creation. So yes, you do not have to believe it to be a Christian. Again, I don't know what you're putting your authority in if you don't. Because this is the book that is the authority. And many people will try to figure out all kinds of ways because science has been teaching us that evolution is a fact. <laughs> okay? It's still in school, it says very clearly in every book in, in the science books and every place you look at, the theory of evolution. Mm -hmm. Okay? Why? Because they haven't proved it yet. <laughs> okay? It's very clear they have not proved it, because if they proved it, it would be called the law of evolution, and it's not and never will be, because they have huge problems with the idea of evolution. First of which is, where did everything come from? You know, and we talked, a we talked a little bit about that last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Well, the evolutionist wants you to believe that be at some point in time, there was nothing, and then all of a sudden, there was everything. Okay, uh, I have never, ever seen a pile of nothing become something. Okay, number one, I'd have to have to see a pile of nothing, but, but I've never seen nothing become something. And yet science and evolutionists want you to believe that at some point in time there was nothing, and then it became something. We need a supernatural out there and to, to be able to start the process that goes beyond nature. Many people, because they believe in evolution, say, well, obviously you can't have a seven-day creation because, and they start throwing scientific ideas at you. And there are some people that want to say, well, it's just figurative. You know, God is trying to show that he's all-powerful and he created it and he, and he decided to just kind of make this picture of it and it's, not, it's all symbols and it's not real. Well, 
I just read you the whole story, and I hope that you understand when we read it, there was nothing symbolic in there. In the, you know, on the first day, God created light and, light, and it separated the light and the darkness and called light dark and, and uh, light day and dark night. <laughs> I'll get this right. And that was the first day. Okay. Uh, there's nothing figurative about that. The second day, I mean, you might be able to say that one was figurative, but the second day, he separated the waters. <laughs> and put sky in there. Nothing figurative about that. It's very clear that he's speaking. He did something. Now, they want, so if you, and if you make this figurative with no reason to make it figurative, you can make anything in the Bible to be a symbol. And you know what? A lot of, lot of people teach that way. There's a lot of people who teach that everything in the Bible has some secret knowledge, and you have to find the spiritual hidden knowledge behind it. It's called Gnosticism. And it's been around. It's been around since very close to the beginning of the church. Most of the most of John's writings is, is against Gnosticism. So it's been around since the beginning, real close to the beginning. Okay, and it's the idea that nothing physical is has value. Anything physical is bad. The only way you can get knowledge is to have a secret knowledge bestowed on you by somebody, and that knowledge is then passed on by you to somebody else, and it stays secret unless it's been revealed. And that is what a lot of people will teach. Well, this is all figurative. There's special messages all through there. And just don't take what it says literal. And they'll do the same thing. Jesus' uh, Jesus's death and resurrection was all spiritual. He really couldn't have died because his, Jesus, number one, couldn't even have a body because that would be bad if he had a body. So therefore, he was only a spirit wandering around and teaching people truth. And you start seeing how weird the, the Gnostic idea gets, and they will and people will try to do this with every story in the scripture. Even when it's very clear that these things happen. They'll take the 10, command, uh, the ten plagues of it on, on Egypt and say, well, they never happened. And they'll spiritualize it. And, and so we want to be careful. When I was teaching the Revelation class and even Daniel class on Tuesdays, the very first rule in interpreting the scriptures is, if it can be taken to be real, you take it real. If it must be figurative, you take it figurative. Uh, and there's very few things in the Bible that must be taken as a figure and a symbol. This is definitely not one of them. It's very clear that it is real. Another thing that people will tell you, they'll give you this idea that Second uh, Peter 3.8 says that a a day in the eyes of the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So they'll say, well, these days were actually a thousand years. Okay. Well, that kind of, they're trying to back it up by lifting the scripture out of context and, and apply it to here. So but this kind of has some interesting ideas. If Adam lived to be, what was it? Uh, I think it was 950 some years. And a day is, a, is, a, is equal to a thousand years. And he was created on day six, and he lived for, a thousand, for 900. He never even made it to the seventh year, the seventh day, if that was true. You've got the grass and the trees made before they have the sun shining in to give them photosynthesis. Okay, When they start throwing this idea of these days could be a 1,000 years, it falls apart when you start looking at it logically. And for me, the scriptures are a very logical book. They hold up to examination. When God says a king ruled at a certain time, we can go into history and see that that king ruled 
at a certain time. If it says this city was located in this place and was destroyed, archaeologists can go to that place, <laughs> dig in the ground, and do, <laughs> and find the city that it was named. Okay, the Bible's facts hold up. So if this is thousand-day years, it doesn't, fit, it doesn't hold up logically. We got another extreme group that says they're genealogical age, uh, geological ages. They don't have anything to do with dates at all. They could be millions of years. Same problems. <laughs> Same problems. So we want to be very careful on this uh, as we look at this. We're going to show you why these have to be days, because it is very important that they be days. Now, the early church fathers had problem with this being a day, too. The only problem with them is they believed it was way too long. <laughs> God was so powerful, he could have just thought the whole thing into, into existence. And you know what? That is a true statement. Mm -hmm. God could have just said, let the earth be there and everything living in it. Now, we wouldn't have a week. We wouldn't have the Sabbath. We wouldn't have the rest. We wouldn't have a lot of things there if he did that. He took his time so that man would have a time period of work and rest. And that's the whole reason behind all of this. And, you know, a lot of people will go to you, well, in the Hebrew, the word yom, which means is day, can mean lots of different things. It can mean a period of time. It can mean the daylight hours. It can mean 24 hours. You know, our word day means the same thing. <laughs> uh, how do we know what you're talking about when you, when you say this? Um, I'm going to look at this book. This is the answers book. It's put, down, put out by Ken Ham. And he had an example of using the word day. And he says, back in my grandfather's day, it took 12 days to drive across the country during the day. That shows all three examples of how to use day. Now, did anybody have any problem understanding what day he meant when we read that? The context told us what day. In my grandfather's day, he's not talking about 24 hours. He's going, back when my grandfather lived, it took 12 days. Okay? The number 12 in days tells us that it was 12 literal days. And then he says to drive across in, in the day, which we kind of go, okay, he's speaking of during the daylight hours. We have no problem understanding that. Same thing in Hebrew. When they use the word yom, you looked at the context and said, is it talking about an age sometime either forward or backwards? Is it talking about daylight time? Or is it talking about 24 hours? And we see a pattern here in the first chapter. In, in, chapter, in verse 5 it said, And God called the, the light day and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, there is no problem understanding that this is talking about 24 hours, not just the light cycle. And keep in mind that the Jews keep their days from evening to morning, or evening to evening. So you're going to find this pattern is very Jewish here when he says it starts in the evening and continues. And this is repeated six times. This was the evening and morning of the first day, the evening and morning of the second day, the evening and morning of the third day, evening and morning of the fourth day. God was saying 24 hours. Okay? Very clearly said 24 hours. 
and, you, and you, you, like I said, you know, many people will go, well, who cares? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, as I said, if the Bible's not true in the very first story that it tells us, we should throw the book away. Okay. Because if I can, and I've said this over and over, if we cannot stand on the word of God as being 100% true, there's nothing we can stand on. It's a wasted time. We're, we're betting our eternity that this book is true. Now, people will say, well, maybe these were longer times. Uh, there's, there's a theory, and I'm going to tell you all this because I want you to know about these theories. Maybe you've never heard about them. Maybe you're very aware, aware of them. There's another theory called the gap theory that says that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, millions of years happened. Okay? And they'll give you all kinds of verses yanked out of, out of sequence and everything to, to build this. And during that period of time, they will tell you that Satan built this, built a people on this world, and he, you know, created all these devastations and everything. But you know, the gap theory has one great big theological problem. And the question is, where does death come from? Okay? Where does death come from? Now, we're going to find out in Genesis 3 where death came from when we get there, but it, and we all know it. Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden. God's planted them. He put a tree there and said, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat in it, you will die. Spiritually and physically. They started dying physically at that moment as well. Now, they didn't die. They didn't drop dead physically at the moment they ate it, but they died spiritually, and death started in this world. Physical death started. In Romans, we're told that the wages of sin is death. If there's this big gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, where some form of proto-human or even animals lived and had death, then we have a problem when death started with Adam and Eve. And I, I know that's kind of a technical thing to understand, but God says death started by sin, so if there was a period that God was not in control and there was death, we have a theological problem that's been developed. Death existed before sin. Death didn't exist before sin. So we have problem in that area. And so we're throwing out these different arguments that people will throw at you. Well, this, that, or the other thing. Just because they don't want to believe in the word. And very important that we look and we say the word is true. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what some other smart person thinks, you know, smarter than us. Uh, it doesn't matter what all these PhDs in science say when they look at things and, and tell you, well, this rock is some billions of years old. How did you find out? Well, I dated it with radiocarbon dating. Well, the half-life of radiocarbon dating is only 1,700 years, so I don't want to know how you've dated something at millions of years based upon something that no longer exists after 1,700 years. Okay? This is knowing science. And we need to understand that what they're telling us is based upon what they want to believe. And when we start getting into anything based on the origins, and we've said this over and over, anything based on the origins is not scientific. When the, when the scientist tells you that evolution happened, it's not based on science. There is no observable evolution between kinds. Now, we see 
speciation, we see things that have you know, changed and adapted to their environment. But you know what? They're still born what they are. A dog is always going to give birth to a dog. A cat is always going to give birth to a cat. An elephant is always going to be, give birth to an elephant. A human is always going to give birth to a human. A monkey is always going to give birth to a monkey. Okay? Nothing has ever given birth to something that it is not. And you need to understand that there is no, no fossil evidence of it. It's all speculation because they want it to be true. Because a lot of people will say, well, don't they have facts? Yeah, they have facts. Creationists have facts. You know what? They're the same facts. <laughs> They're the same evidence. It depends on what glasses do you want to put on. Am I going to put a biblical glass on that says God is true and look at what God says and say, oh, yes, this makes sense. The very fact we have as many fossils as we do makes sense when you have a great flood that covers the whole world for 40, rains for 40 days and 40 nights and floods the world for, for a year. Good way to make fossils, bury them quickly and, and under great pressure. That's how fossils are made. Okay, how would you find your fossils if, they, if it was a great flood? Well, you'd find the shells and the, and, the, and the sea animals and the things that couldn't move very easily at the very bottom. And you'd find less and less of the more advanced animals until you would find very few mammals because most of the mammals could swim and not be buried under the, under the muck of the, of the water. And they would have floated in, in bloated carcasses. So we look at it and say, from a biblical present, presentation, we look at it and say, yeah, it makes total sense. <laughs> we have lots of, lots of fossils because of the great flood of Noah. How does the evolutionist go? Well, well when we give you 60, 600 million years, <laughs> you're going to have some fossils show up. Our problem is we don't see what they say. We don't see what they say. We can't date things the way they say. It's kind of interesting. They date the fossil by what level of rock it's in, and they date the rock by what fossil is in it. Do you see a problem in that kind of dating system? Well, because we found this fossil here, and we know that this fossil is so old, this rock is this old. Or they look at the rock and say, this rock is down this period, and is therefore this old, and this is a fossil we found in, and this is how old the fossil is. You can't have it both ways. And we just want to, um, you know, we can do whole classes on this, and we have done different things on evolution because I want you to understand it is not scientific. They put on their glasses that there is no God, and therefore, because there is no God, something has to happen. We know that things don't spontaneously generate in life, okay? Louis Pasteur did his great experiment saying, you know, life does not just spontaneously generate out of the pile of meat. The maggots didn't come from the meat itself. It came from the, and we now know it came from the flies laying its eggs. Okay. The scientists will tell you, the evolutionists will tell you, well, Louis Pasteur did not disprove spontaneous generation of life. He only showed, and I read this, believe me, I read this, it was so strange. He only showed that life cannot spontaneously generate now. He did not show that sometime a million years ago <laughs> that life could, couldn't spontaneously generate. <laughs> okay, now these are the same people that teach uniformism that things decay at a constant, steady rate, that once a fact is true, it's always true. So, but why do they have to say such a silly thing? Because an evolutionist 
a loose person who believes in evolution must have spontaneous generation of life somewhere, somehow. Okay, why? Because we have life. <laughs> and I actually read one because uh, a biologist wrote, I don't believe in spontaneous generation, but because I believe in evolution, I know that spontaneous generation happened. I, don't I know that it can't be true, but because there's life here, it had to have happened. Because they don't want to put God in the mix. And if you haven't heard it before, panspiora is becoming the, the number one thing out in, this, in the colleges. We were planted here by aliens. Aliens somewhere in this universe flew over to the Earth, dropped life on this Earth, and left. And you know, the first time I heard that in college, I thought the professor was joking. <laughs> I really did think he was joking. And then I looked at him and realized he was not joking. This is being taught as a fact in colleges because they realize that spontaneous generation of life could not happen on this Earth. So maybe somewhere there's a planet that has different rules and different laws in, its, in this universe where spontaneous generation could happen and they got so evolved that they started flying around the universe planting life. And even being a, a science fiction nut that I am and watching Star Trek and all these other places, it's still, I still realize that that's a pretty silly thing, but I understand why people will believe it. Because all through those kind of stories, man goes all over the planet plant, planting life on all these planets to protect human life. So it's fertile ground for these college students to believe that there's aliens out there someplace that are more advanced than us planting life on the planets. You know, and like I said, when I first heard a professor say that, I was, I was ready to laugh out loud. I thought he was joking. And it was just bizarre because it is believed. And I just bring these out to you because it is so important to know that when God presented this, it's either true or it's not. There's no halfway. Can you be a Christian and not believe in seven-day creation? I've already told you that. Yes, you technically can be a Christian because Christianity is based on having a relationship with Jesus Christ, saving us from our sins. The question is, why would you need a savior? Why would he come if the rest of the Bible isn't true? We have a lot of other problems with that. I don't know what you're believing in. And I've met lots of people who say, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. I'm going, okay, why would you believe in Jesus if you're not going to believe in the Bible? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, I guess some people can, maybe. <laughs> But I also look at their life, and they're not basing their life on anything. You know, most of them have some made-up Jesus that they have decided they want to believe and follow. But very important, you know, next week we'll actually look at what happened on each of these days and go through that. But today I just wanted to really bring out a day. A day here is a day. <laughs> very clearly, it's a 24-hour day. Evening to morning tells us it is one day. The very fact that every time in, in scripture and even in English, if you put a number in front of the word day, you mean a, a day, a 24-hour day. And if you say from sunrise to sunset, as we would say it, we would be saying a day. You know, so we just want to be able to bring this out. In Genesis 1, a day is a day. And I, and I hope I haven't bored you with this and everything, but it is true. If you start talking to people, you're going to hear people give you all kinds of strange things. And I just wanted to kind of lay out the arguments you're going to hear 
and how you can answer them. Because it's very clear a day and it's not figurative. There's nothing in there that makes it sound figurative or symbolic. It is a history of the creation of the world from the one person who was there. The one eyewitness to the creation of the world gave us his first-hand story, testimony of how the earth was created. There is no scientist out there that believes in evolution who has ever been an eyewitness to what he's teaching and has never interviewed or even looked at a historic, historic book that interviewed the eyewitness to the start of life other than our God. So our question is, are we going to believe the eyewitness or somebody who has an ax to grind? And believe me, the evolutionists don't want a God. And many of them have gone on record of saying, I cannot accept that there is a God because if there is a God, there's rules that have to follow. And that is why that they are not wanting to have a God. They don't want creationism to be true. Because if God created this hev the world as, as he did, he has the right to make the rules. And if he has the right to make the rules, he can tell us what's right and what's wrong. And he has. And as man has, quote unquote, by the world evolved, <laughs> the rules would go out the window. And we're seeing the rules going out the window very quickly in our day and age. Everything that God says is good in the scriptures, the world is trying to convince us is good, or it's bad. And everything that God says is bad, they're saying is good. And it's getting worse and will keep getting worse. Because in the end days, it'll be like the days of Noah. And in Noah's day, it said, every man did what was right in his own eyes, according to his imagination which means evil, because men are sinners. We are born sinners. We get saved and we become saints. We're saints who sin, <laughs> but we are all born as sinners. And if we live according to our own thinking, our own imaginations, we will do evil. It's our, it's our desire. Every one of us, even though we're saved, even when we're saved, we still have a desire to do evil. And it's only because of God's strength and power living in us that we ever do what's right. And so we want to be able to begin to see this. When God says something, it's true. And I've shared with you, I used to listen to Dr. McGee on Through the Bible, and I used to love him saying, where the Bible and McGee disagree, the Bible is right. For each one of us, it needs to be our attitude. Whether I agree or disagree with the Bible, it's right. Because truth is truth, whether it's believed or not. And this is very important for us to understand. Something that is true is always true. And, you know, and this is, we said it last week, if you were totally, totally in the idea that uh, gravity does not exist and it is not real and it is not true, and you go up here to the mountain behind us and you climb to the top and jump off the mountain, you're going to find out it doesn't matter what you believe about gravity. You're not going to float in the air when you step off that mountain. No matter what you do, unless you have a parachute, you are not going to float stepping off the mountain. You are going to fall to the earth. When, when I, if I drop this pen, it is not going to float to the ceiling. It's going to fall to the floor. No matter whether I believe it will float or not, it will fall to the floor. It doesn't matter if we believe truth or not. 
It is true. And this is why God gave us a book of truths, and all we've got to do is believe it. And where we disagree, we ask God to show us why he's true and why we're wrong. Because it's always going to be that case. If I disagree with it, I'm wrong. It's not the Bible that's wrong. It's me who's wrong. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and you care for us. We ask that you go with us. Lord, if there is anybody listening that doesn't know you, we ask that they will come to you and, and confess that they are a sinner. They deserve punishment and accept Jesus' gift for salvation. And then come and talk to us or email us and tell us about it. But you are the only answer. You are the way to heaven. You are the only way to heaven. And we just thank you for that. We ask you that you be with us in your son's precious name. Amen.